0: there's a lot of inaccurate things about consent. And um, I think sometimes we just need to be really blunt about what that is. And it is a no means no. Actually really only a yes means yes, that's all it is. It's anything other than a yes is is not okay. And it does not matter if you've been married to the person for five years. It doesn't matter if you're on a first date and it does not matter if they seem into some things and not into other things. And yeah, frankly, none of that matters. And it's only like through really good communication that you can
1: get those across. This is Frisky North of 60. We bring you stories about love and dating in the North. I'm Karen McCall.
2: And I'm Mark Kelly. We're coming to you from Whitehorse, Yukon, where dating and looking for love can be long and lonely just like our winters,
1: or hot and steamy, just like that tropical vacation you never got to take.
2: This is a different episode than ones we usually run on Frisky North of 60. It started with an email we received from a woman who said she had been sexually assaulted on a date. She said she wanted to talk to us about issues of expectation and consent. To be honest, Karen and I debated whether an episode about sexual assault fit with Frisky. Most of our previous content, as you may know, is on the more lighter side. Do we want to keep it that way? But both of our intuitions told us this episode belongs on the show. Our mission is to share the honest side of dating North of 60, and while that is often quirky and sometimes comical, it can also be a nightmare. Sexual assault has been part of some, maybe even many, women's experiences of dating, and that's why we thought sharing this episode is the right thing to do especially if it can help someone who's had a similar experience or start an important conversation. This episode doesn't include graphic details of sexual assault, but nonetheless, please do take care while listening. If you're in the Yukon and you're a survivor of sexual assault, you can call the Sexualized Assault support line. and That number is 1-844-967-7275. You can also email VictimServices at victim.services at ca. For the privacy of the woman who contacted us, we aren't sharing her name. We've also altered her voice. The first question Karen asked was what prompted her to get in touch.
0: So so first of all, I've, I've listened to the podcast, I don't think every episode, but quite a few right now, and there was a lot of sort of fun Dating stories, which I have certainly had, been on fun dates and been in positive relationships, but the one that sticks out the most to me is is one where I I was sexually assaulted, Um, and that has affected every single part of my life. Um, And I think I think in many ways it could have been preventable, um, and it's sort of a silent issue. When we think of people who've been sexually assaulted or raped, we often think of people who are too drunk at the bar or raped by a stranger in an alleyway. And I just, I just wanted to be clear that that doesn't always happen. And I know myself, this is my story, but I have good friends who have similar things that have happened to them when they've been in relationships or on dates. And I just, I just wanted to talk a bit about it um,
1: and bring, bring some voice to a silent issue. So where do you where do you want to start? Do you want to speak a little bit about the experience? Because like you said, there's a perception about people being sexually assaulted by strangers, but uh, you were actually assaulted by somebody who who you'd been on a few dates with, who you who you knew. I think starting sort of at the beginning makes
0: sense, um, and I think it's important to mention now that this is is my experience, and I know people have had very different experiences with with sexualized violence and. Um, one of the things that really affects my outcome is the positive relationships I've been in, in the past, um, with, uh, past partners, um, and I've had really strong relationships. So this is something, um, when this happened, it was so obvious to me that it was, was wrong. And I know that that doesn't always happen people have long histories of abuse. Um, so just, I guess, recognizing that I've I've had really, really strong and positive relationships previously. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I guess starting at the beginning. So several years ago, I met a neighbor of mine while well, we were walking our dogs. And um, we kind of hit it off and we went on a few more walks. So we'd been on a few dates and um, he, he invited me over one night um, to have dinner at his place. And I I didn't know him that well, but I agreed. And, um, there's so many points during this story that I think of that I should have, would have, could have. And yeah, that's one of them. I should have, I should have said no then, but I, I went over, um, and we did have dinner together and I think we had very different expectations going into the evening, um, and that That's the night that, that I was raped. Um, and there's... I'm not going to go into the details of, of what happened, but going over there, um, I was not expecting to have sex. There was... I didn't know him very well. I had semi-recently got out of a long-term relationship. I wasn't really... I was I think more just searching for some sort of connection with someone, regardless um I don't even think I showered that day, not that it matters, but I probably would have showered if i if I thought I was gonna gonna have sex with somebody and yeah, that night um and this is where the tricky part about consent comes in because some things that happened were completely consensual, and there wasn't a hard to find line of of when things quickly became non-consensual. Um so for instance, there was kissing and I was totally into that and then and then quickly it became more than more than I wanted. And um I think I was pretty clear about that. Um I did voice that quite a few times and and it happened anyway. So in the grand scheme of sexual assaults, I guess, we also have expectations that people are maybe held at knife point or held down. And and this was really just coercion. Like, once you've said, no, 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 so many times, there's a point where you become sort of overpowered. And there's a lot of after that that I don't actually really remember a lot of the assaults. I think I mostly dissociated. So there's certain instances that really stick out in my mind of being like, sort of quite violent. Um, And there's certain instances where I don't, I don't know. Like if you would have asked me, how long was it? I honestly have, have no idea. It could have been 20 minutes. And it could have been three hours. And I I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I there's no concept of time. Um if I think about it now, it's like I'm a third person in the room and I'm I'm watching it. Um and yeah, it's, it's, there are some things I think about as well. Like I think because it was relatively nonviolent, as i was not physically injured it makes it really confusing to understand um not that i wish i was held at gunpoint but i think then the force would have been so obvious whereas this was sort of i mean for parts i think um there was some some physical force but nothing nothing that physically harmed me um but it's it's hard to understand when it's sort of more coercion instead. Um, So that's more or less what happened. Um, And really mostly what happened was after that. Um, That was just maybe 20 minutes, maybe three hours of of time in my life. And um, to this day, there's not, there's probably not five minutes that go by when I don't think about it. It's sort of all-consuming.
1: In the days following, what what was going through your head?
0: I don't even really know, to be totally honest. Um, the days after were a blur. Um, I couldn't tell you what happened. I think I spent a lot of time laying in my bed staring at the ceiling. It took a lot of time just to, like, process that. Um, and I think... I think I was really grasping for some sort of clarity on what what just happened, um, and I knew something wasn't okay in my in my gut, and I just couldn't figure it out. Um, one of the things that actually did happen the day after, um, I just had dinner with a friend, and she knew I was going on a date with this guy, and she asked—we're good friends—so she asked me if we had slept together, and I said yes, and. She actually ended up asking me three times that night if i was okay with what happened and i knew she knew <laughs> and even when i didn't i was like yep yep and she's like you sure everything seems kind of you don't seem okay and it's like nope it's good and i think i was really just in the months that followed it was really a quite strong sense of denial um where yeah, I just really didn't want to believe any of it had happened.
1: So afterwards, you weren't like, oh my god, I was just raped. You were sort of in, I guess, shock mode almost? Totally. And I think it's
0: total shock. Total shock. No, there was nothing in me that thought until months later that maybe I should report this to the police. Maybe I should even get an STI check. Like, that didn't... like. I was so in my own world, there was I was just replaying what happened and trying to make it make sense um and one of the things that really does still screw screw with my mind today is i I met up with this person who raped me twice afterward, which doesn't make any sense to me now. I'm sure it doesn't make sense to people listening um and it it really bothers me when I've talked about it a lot with my counselor and and friends and it's actually fairly common that this will happen. But I just I just don't get it. I was like, why would I ever meet up with that person? And I think my well, my counselor's conclusion is that I was likely trying to get some control over the situation. Um, so I, I saw him twice afterward and nothing nothing happened. We did not have sex or anything. We didn't even kiss. I was just, I was really trying to make sense of it. I did bring it up to him and I was like, Hey, what happened? Wasn't cool. And he said something along the lines of, I'm sorry, it wasn't totally consensual. Um, and to clarify for others, that is unconsensual. (laughs) Like not totally consensual is, is not consensual. Um, but he didn't really get it there's nothing that convinced me that he really understood
1: and so you left it sort of yeah there wasn't any obviously closure from those conversations or any sort of accountability from his side
0: no no not at all and so I just I actually was going away for a brief period um I went down south and for about a week um I didn't text him uh the whole time and then probably a few days after I got back he said do you want to meet up and I said no I'm not interested and he said something along the lines of I'd like to get some closure which was one confusing because there was nothing to get closure on in my mind like I didn't want anything to do with this person anymore and we hadn't I feel like closure and having those kind of conversations is maybe something you have with somebody you've dated for, with, or dated for a number of years, and we really didn't, like, maybe we saw each other five times ever, and so I was like, I know, I I don't need to see you, so I texted him, like, do not contact me ever again, um, which he respected, so, um, that was clear enough, um. I think he understood that it wasn't totally consensual based on what he said to me after. I don't think he understood what that meant. And I think in his mind when I went over there, um I think he very much expected to have sex when I was there that night and did not like really was not interested in whether I wanted to or not. Um was just into that he, he would like to, um, and there was even during, like, there was no sort of, I don't know, checking in, um, seeing if maybe this was something I even liked, but there was like none of that. There was nothing. It was just, it really just felt like I was being used, um, which is like, exactly, I guess what happened and those sorts of terms. Um, but yeah, yeah, so that's something I'd say. And I'd also say that um this is maybe a bit of a sidebar, but he did drink quite a lot that night. Like I knew know that he was at least sort of intoxicated. And that was that was actually stressful for me during the night. I remember being like, this person is getting sort of drunk and they're becoming a bit more touchy. It's fine right now, but I'm a bit like, it's not making me totally, it's not making me feel comfortable. And it was also, I remember being like, I don't think I'll go on another date with this person. Cause it's sort of weird that we're on like, this is the third time I've met him and he's like actually quite intoxicated. Um, and that does not alleviate him from what he did. I think he was sound enough to make the decisions he did, but that is, that is a component of it. Um, I think alcohol more often than not plays a role in, in sexual assaults. Um, I have no evidence to back that up, but I think it maybe gives people a little bit of liquid courage and, and people become a bit more consumed in, in what they want, um, and aren't thinking totally straight. And that is again, not, not an excuse, but it is probably a factor. Well,
1: and you mentioned that, Uh, you said something about like, maybe you shouldn't have gone to his house for dinner because you don't know him that well. But I'd say that, I mean, a lot of us go for (laughs) whatever on dates with people we don't know that well. And we don't go like, we go in there expecting that we're going to be safe. And so I mean, you didn't do anything that anybody else wouldn't have done. And this is yeah, this isn't something that happened at knife point or whatever. But but it's it's obviously something that happens a lot and that's not talked about enough. And you said that you, you've, you've talked to other people who've had similar experiences.
0: Yeah. So to your first point,
1: we are our
0: own worst critics, I think. So if this happened to anyone I know, I would say the same thing to them, that of course it wasn't your fault, you've done nothing wrong. Um, there is so much... Shame and guilt that's held with this, um, and you hear all of those um, sort of rape myths. Like, were you drinking? What were you wearing? All those things, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you were, what you were in, if you were drinking, if if it was at his place, if it was your place, if you texted him first. Like, none of that matters. It just, but you, it's so ingrained, and that is all I think about to this day, like I, I barely drink and it's because I had one drink that night. Um, and when I reported it, that was asked of me. And I never want that to be a reason that I'm potentially not believed or for some reason that's, that's why I was raped. Like I think about that every time I think about drinking, I think about like, well, what if something happens and then they'll blame it on, on me having a drink of alcohol. Um, And the next, the next part about that, like just for some stereotypes, I was wearing a turtleneck that night and, um, and jeans. So it was not showing any sort of skin, not even my neck. It was chilly out. Um, so it does, yeah, you don't have to be wearing, wearing a short skirt and a belly top. Like it, it doesn't matter. Um, but, but still it's, you th- you think about those things in it oh did i initiate the first time we were kissing okay well, what if what if i did that what if i didn't go downstairs with him what if i just would have stayed upstairs what if i would have left earlier what if what if i didn't say something loud enough what if i would have pushed him off all these things and for, for a lot of it like i think about it like the other tough part is i didn't fight per se like I didn't punch and scream and yell and his roommate was upstairs like if I did maybe his roommate would have come down but you sort of just it's that like fight flight or freeze and I and I froze and this is I'm a few years out now um and that's taken me a long time to understand why I didn't do anything um I now get it but there's a lot of time I spent thinking it was my fault. Um, And yeah, to that point, like, I know too many women who this has happened to. Um, And everyone's story is, is different, but really it's all the same. And there's some sort of screwed up, I don't want to say joy, but it makes me really comforted to know that other people have been through it and some people just get it. Um, and yeah, I have a few really good friends who've struggled through similar, but different situations. And it's, it's sort of like, they just know, um, uh, and none of them, like, they're all different situations. Some were when they were younger, some were when, be, they were maybe under the influence of alcohol or drugs and some were in abusive relationships. So it, it it can happen really all the time, or not at any time to anyone. Um, and we don't talk about it. And a few, I can think of a few of my friends in particular who just sort of, this happened years ago to them, and it's just sort of like hitting them now that this is something that's really still affecting them today.
1: What impact did this sexual violence have on your mental health? Initially, um, I
0: actually thought I might be going crazy. I could not stop thinking about it. And it was going through my mind again and again and again and again and again. And I just, I was going crazy. I don't even know how I managed to keep my job because I basically sit at my desk at work. And that's all I did was think about it. I don't even remember getting any work done. Um, and I was sort of, well, that was happening in like this crazy state of denial, where was, like, it didn't really happen. Um, and then also, so there was that where I thought I was going crazy. And then I was really getting quite anxious about everything. Like, and it does, it makes you feel like you're going crazy because I would be anything, like going to the grocery store. I'm like, what if he's there? I don't want to run into him. And I was like planning my life around trying not to see him, even though I barely knew him and did not know anything about his schedule. But I was just like, in my mind, it was somehow logical that if I went to the grocery store right after work, he probably wouldn't be there, even though I had no idea, no idea if that was a time he would go to the grocery store. Um, And so there was that going on and I developed, um, uh, I, well, yeah, an eating disorder um, where I really didn't eat that much, and it had nothing to do, at least I think, with with my body image, and it more had to do with, I was so anxious all the time that I like could not eat, and I know some people maybe float to the other way, and they might um, might binge eat or something like that, and mine was, I just, I felt so sick to my stomach all the time, I, I couldn't consume food. There was probably three weeks where I consumed like maybe 200 calories a day. There's like almost nothing. I just, I couldn't make it happen. Um, so things are going like quite downhill, um, pretty quickly. Um, yeah. And, and since then, like I have, yeah, symptoms of PTSD, definitely depression. Um, and I think the anxiety is interesting to think about because it's not just anxiety about the situation. Um, my counselor often talks about a window of tolerance and it's just made my window of what I can tolerate much much narrower. So it might be something really small um, that can really set me off because I have no sort of resilience anymore. And I used to be, previous to this, I guess this is important to mention, like I would say... I had really like exceptional mental health. Um, There was nothing I really worried about. Um, But yeah, it would be just be a tiny thing that would happen at work or I'd have, I feel like I had too many tests to do in a day and I would just be like having a panic attack like all of a sudden and I didn't know how and it felt like I couldn't come down. Um, I'm in a place now where I I do still get that anxious, but I'm in a place where it comes down quicker. And I know that it's not going to last forever. There was a period of time when I was, I don't know, having like three panic attacks a day. And like really, I had, I had no control over my emotions. Um, and it's really quite stressful. And it was, yeah, it, it felt terrible. And I just, I had no control. No control um, over what was going on.
1: Were you also wrestling with the idea of like reporting it?
0: um not initially that happened probably four months after um, not initially, I was still in this denial state where I was convinced that somehow it didn't really happen, and it was definitely my fault if it did and and I just wanted to forget about it um and then there was a point in time where, to be totally honest, I had a terrible counselor and I feel like she sort of pressured me to report which counselor should never do. She was also, um, yeah, it was like my first counseling experience, so I didn't know what to expect and um, now I know. Um, and she, if you ever have a counselor that tries to push you to do anything, including talk about your story, Please find a new counselor. <laughs> um, but she, she really, I think, planted that seed. And once that seed was planted, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, and then it, for me, it kept going back to two things. One, if I later figured out that he had done this to a- another woman, um, would I ever be able to forgive myself that I, I could have d- said something? and and two is i come from a like quite privileged place where i have a really great support network and i know what healthy relationships are and um in general in general i feel like i know enough about the criminal justice system to know what maybe to expect um so it's like if i don't report who will <laughs> sort of thing but it comes down also to is it serious enough like i know people who have been raped and it's been much serious more much more serious or um what's going to come out of it anyway like does it even matter i have no proof i have no evidence i didn't tell anyone till a month or two later i didn't go to the hospital there's no rape kit cap- get done it's my word against his like what what why, why would why is it worth it is it worth it and so it started really building up um there's so many pros and cons and things going on there too
1: and then so what got you to the place where you you went into the i guess the police building and and reported it so i think some i might have done
0: this a bit b- backward i ended up connecting with victim services um i got to a point where i was curious enough that i reached out to victim services and I went in to their office and i um, met with a woman and just asked her what my options were. When I went in, I actually really just wanted a restraining order, which is really bizarre. I, now thinking about it because he wasn't actually like stalking me or anything. And I actually had <clears throat> probably no like to stand on there. She let me know that that probably actually wouldn't have gone through because he wasn't, he wasn't in my life anymore and he had respected my wishes not to be contacted Um, So I just went in and asked her what my options were, and she sort of laid them out for me. Um, And so it gave me something to think about. I really, what I wanted the most was the option where I would never, ever, ever see him again. Um, And I thought that was through a restraining order, which apparently is not. They only last six months to a year anyway. Um, And so I talked to her about the options of reporting and uh, I left and by this, by this point I was actually going crazy. Like it, I was like, do I report, do I not, what are, whatever. So my brain was firing a million miles an hour and I just kind of set an ultimatum and I was like, tomorrow you're going to decide if you're going to report it or you're not, if you're not, you're going to forget about it forever. It's not going to be part of your life. And I just knew that that wasn't something I could do. Um, and so that's when I decided to go in um there was another option too um at that point um Victoria Faulkner Women's Center um they offer third party reporting so you can actually go in with one of their staff and they will take a report for you and give it to the police without your name and then if something similar comes up for that same perpetrator um they might call you Victoria Faulkner well and ask you if you want to be um, a witness in a case, and you can at that point. Um, I don't know. I think I felt like if I was going to do it, I was going to go all in, Um, but I think that would be also a good option for some people who are looking for some sort of middle ground and just want to tell someone. I was raped post Me Too movement, and I think, yeah, I don't think I would be able to report it uh, or would have been able to report the rape without the Me Too movement happening. Um, it made it a lot more maybe normal to report it. Like There's more conversations about it in general, I think. Um, I don't think I can really tell because the Me Too movement happened um, before, if I was raped and then the Me Too movement happened and I was able to then, then have, find a voice after that it might have that might've helped. I'm I'm sure it created a different culture where reporting it didn't seem, it's still, it's still probably the most difficult thing I've ever done, but it didn't seem totally impossible either.
1: What do you want people listening to this to to know? What I would really love is more men to be about
0: a, a part of this conversation. So I'd like to call you into this conversation. There's way too many women's groups who support other women who've been through this and by and large, we frame this as a issue that's violence against women. Um, and I would really argue that it's actually just violence caused by men. Um, and women who are talking about solving these problems and dealing with these issues um, and supporting women, that's really fabulous. But the, the problem is men and men who, who perpetrate this violence. Um, and without them being a part of this conversation um we're really we're really missing a key voice in this, and yeah that's what i that's what I'd like to say is men really need to, I think either educate themselves and if you are a caregiver of maybe a young a young male or son really talking to them about consent and what what that really means because there are so many stereotypes and in the media and in movies and whatever. There's a lot of inaccurate things about consent, and um, I think sometimes we just need to be really blunt about what that is, and it is a no means no. Actually, really only a yes means yes, that's all it is. It's Anything other than a yes is, is not okay, and it does not matter if you've been married to the person for five years. It does not matter if you're on a first date, and it does not matter if they seem into some things and not into other things. And yeah, frankly, none of that matters. And it's only like through really good communication that you can get this across. And I think just men recognizing the amount of damage that they can do um, and other men have done. And I am I know there's a whole bunch of things about not all men. And I, I totally agree. I have so many really good men in my life, um, but also not all men are are really taking action on this issue and talking about it to their male friends. And it's that sort of locker room talk and those cat calls and maybe sort of inappropriate rape jokes or hitting on a coworker inappropriately. Those are the types of things that sort of perpetrate this culture and, and make it seem okay when it's, it's totally not. So that's what I'd like. And I'd maybe like, uh, Women to to know that I don't know that I believe them um, and it isn't your fault and I would I would do anything for this not to be your reality also if, if this has happened to you or your friend's reality um, and just really support each other and um, when you can speak up, but um, if that's not comfortable it's not for you and you don't have to make that your, your um, issue. Also, especially if this has happened to you, I know that it's also, I guess I'm speaking out because I have been in a place where I've accessed a whole lot of (laughs) medication and therapy by now, but um, I know for some women that's, that's not the case and, and maybe will never be the case. And if it's, if it's not, Possible for you, just go easy on yourself and try to seek the support you need. And yeah.
2: If you've experienced sexualized violence or know someone who has, please keep listening. We have some resource numbers you may find helpful. If you're in the Yukon, you can call the Sexualized Assault Support Line toll free at 1 844 967. 7275. Kayushi's Place Women's Transition Home Crisis Line is 867 668 5733, and the Canadian Mental Health Association Yukon Branch Reach Out Support Line is toll free at 1 844 533 3030. For information and support in the NWT or Nunavut, please visit our Frisky North of 60 Facebook page. This episode was recorded in and around Whitehorse Yukon. Sometimes we use the podcast studio at Yukonstruct,
1: And sometimes I record in my closet. Our music is by Anthony Vega, Sexy Time. Thanks for listening in. We would love to hear from you with story ideas or feedback.
2: Get in touch through Facebook, the Twitter... Or email us at friskynorthof60 at gmail.com. That's frisky north of with a number 60 at gmail.com.
1: We'd also love to get a rating, preferably four stars or above, from whatever podcast app you are using.
2: Thanks very much, everybody. Stay frisky.
1: Stay frisky.